Indeed Pod, a podcast about indie tabletop role-playing games where I interview creators about their games and inspirations, and about the theory, process, and practice of game design. My name is Mark Shepard, your host today and always, and your friendly local indie enthusiast. This is my final October at Yes Indeed Pod, and to draw me out of my shell a little, I wanted to try a very spooky horror gaming double feature. Here's the second episode, an interview with James Davey about The Midnight World, a game exploring mental health through the lens of cosmic horror. Now that's out of my head and into yours, let's talk indie. So, today we're talking to James Davey. Hi there, James, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm great, thank you. It's really nice when my guests ask that. <laughs> it's not something that happens every time. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm stressed out, but I think that's just a, a condition of being alive in this time period. That is true. It's just there are monsters nearby. You can't sleep now, mm-hmm. constantly. James, would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? Uh, Sure. Yeah. So uh, like I said, I am James Davey. Uh, I have been involved in some facet of role playing since I was uh, a young fella. Uh, So I think I started my first Vampire LARP in 1993 or something along those lines. And I've always sort of been a, 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 I don't want to say a producer, but I've always been a creator of some kind. Hmm. Uh, And most recently, I have uh, been the co-creator and uh, creative lead on The Midnight World, which is a brand new horror tabletop RPG set in a world where decisions have psychological consequences. And that sounds really cool. I absolutely promise we will get to talk about that because your pitch to me on Twitter sounded really funky, so I'm, I'm definitely into it. This month is Halloween Spooky Month, uh, and fans of Yes Indeed Pod will know, oh man, how many times have I said this month, that I'm not the biggest fan of horror, and particularly horror games. So what I really want you to do is, if you can, sell me on horror gaming in general. Sure. So I think that horror gaming in general, uh, the thing that I like about it is that it it, it's, it really has uh, so many different facets. I mean, there are horror games that I have played kind of like Monster of the Week. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's very, uh, it's like playing an, a, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Supernatural where there's just one creature and you've got a little team of plucky heroes and yeah. uh, that can lead to a lot of fun team building and strategizing. You have personal horror games more like Vampire and Werewolf that are sort of geared at getting you to investigate yourself and your own feelings. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the sort of cosmic horror of Call of Cthulhu, which is meant to make you feel what it might be like to be powerless in a world uh, run by uh, singular dark creatures, which just feels a little too on the nose in 2022, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I believe that, yeah. You sort of put a kind of triangle together there. Where do you think something like Dread sits in that triangle? Is that more personal or is that more cosmic? You know, I like Dread a lot. And, and actually, when we were developing The Midnight World, we played a lot of Dread. Mm. Uh, and I feel like that is, that's very personal because Dread specifically, the mechanic of Dread is meant to evoke 
anxiety and tension and tension that worsens <laughs> yeah. throughout the course of the game. And frankly, that is one of the problems I've always had with tabletop horror games is that a lot of the time, the tension doesn't really build throughout the story. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of there these moments of explosive horror that happen, but between scenes, it's just investigation or it, that it, there's no mechanic that keeps that dread building, which dread obviously was very good for. Yeah. And we wanted to do something kind of like that, but we wanted to do it with dice instead of the Jenga tower, which the Jenga tower is, if, if they hadn't done that, we would have done that. That's brilliant. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a really inspired mechanic and one that is, um, almost perfectly suited not to suit me actually <laughs> very very bad at dexterity based game so i you've sort of pitched out there that you think that tension is really important but kind of you hinted at investigation being important as well is there any other mechanic that you think like really needs to come out when you're devising or designing a horror game i think it's really important uh, to address mental health because mm. a lot of horror games try to tackle some aspect of it. Because, you know, as we all know, horror in a very real sense affects your mind. And it affects your minds in ways that you may not even see at the time and you may not know for many years that the literal neural pathways in your brain have been changed because of this moment that you experienced. You know, and obviously that's a little too much to go that in depth, but... You see things like Vampire, and I love Vampire. Like I said, I've been playing Vampire since uh, the original Gray Box back when it first released. And it's always felt to me that the way that it approaches mental health is kind of as a tertiary concern. Yeah, It's these derangements that really aren't that important to the story. You certainly can play them, but you're not really penalized for not playing them. Uh, and when they do happen... Well, what do they do? They make they make you frenzy. That's that's what they do. Call of Cthulhu again has this sort of you have a sanity meter from zero to a hundred, and once you've lost all of your sanity, your character is quote unquote insane. Whatever that might mean, they don't really describe it. You just can't play the character anymore. Yeah, I think that tackling mental health in a way that is both respectful to the people who may suffer these conditions and also narratively compelling. It's a hard thing to do, but I think it's very important for horror games. Wow, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. I mean, Call of Cthulhu is kind of the archetype of maybe a really bad way of handling uh, mental health in RPGs. But it's so prevalent, especially in some scenes. Like, I think Call of Cthulhu is the most popular role-playing game in Japan, for example. And what does it say that we don't have a stronger horror role-playing game? It's interesting that we haven't got much further than Call of Cthulhu and Dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us about the Midnight World then. <laughs> <laughs> there you On go. That uh, so the Midnight World began as exactly what we're talking about right here. The difference uh, only is that it was my brother and I who uh, were both combat veterans. We both have PTSD, uh, CPSD, complex PTSD. And uh, so we were sitting around, we were running a game, and we were trying to express to our players what it feels like to get sort of on that downward spiral of anxiety. Right. You start by being afraid that you might fail at a task and then you do fail at the task and then that makes you convinced that you're going to fail at every task after that and so it becomes this sort of ball rolling down a hill 
and there's it's very difficult to stop the momentum of anxiety once it has begun. And originally, we weren't going to devise a whole game system around it. We were we were trying to devise a single mechanic for another game, but that mechanic led to another, and that led to another. And before we realized what we had done, we had built an entire gaming system. Nice, <laughs> just by accident, yeah. Just by accident, pretty much. I mean, we played the game uh, that would become the Midnight World for a couple of years without wanting to put it into physical form and Mm. sell it. And it was only when one of our VA friends saw it and said something to the effect of that this could be helpful uh, and you should do something with this that we decided to move forward with it. So, I mean, basically it does take that sort of the themes of cosmic horror from Call of Cthulhu. There are these immense outer beings that control things that are terrifying and are deific, for lack of a better term. And then it also takes from vampire and werewolf in that a lot of the horror is internally focused. It's focused on the things that your character has experienced before mm. uh, and how they've reacted to it but but it really centers around your characters reacting to these anxiety triggers that were planted in them the first time they ever saw something supernatural yeah so that's that's sort of what we do and we like i said it's very important to us to be respectful of these conditions because we're both sufferers yeah so that's that's sort of the elevator pitch for the midnight world cosmic horror in a world where decisions have psychological consequence. That's amazing. You've talked a lot about like the mechanics of how you're representing that there. Well, no, you haven't. <laughs> You've alluded to them. <laughs> Do you want to sort of lean into a little bit about what sort of mechanics you think are helping with developing tension, but also reinforcing these ideas of uh, mental health crises? Sure. So our entire game centers around a clock. Uh, in the very center of the character sheet, there is a clock face. Um, for ease of not making people do arithmetic during their sessions, uh, it, it's they're all derivative. They're all 12. Right. We don't go to 60 with seconds or minutes. It's 12 seconds, 12 minutes, 12 hours. The minute hand represents uh, sort of effort. It represents how hard you are trying to do the things that you are trying to do. So mm. something like willpower in a White Wolf game or edge in Shadowrun or whatever the D&D equivalent is. I'm sure there is one. I don't know much about D&D, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad about that. <laughs> your minute hand represents how anxious your character is. And okay. you gain minutes by using supernatural powers, uh, by witnessing terrifying things, but most specifically, you gain them by being exposed to your character's trauma trigger. And we, we use the word trauma trigger, but there's a whole sidebar in the book about how this is not a funny term. We don't say, oh, you're so triggered, because that means something to people like us who actually have PTSD, who suffer these triggers. Mm. Part of your character creation process is deciding what these triggers are going to be. And when your character is exposed to them, that minute hand goes up. Your minute hand, every so many minutes that your character has, they must add a D4 to every roll that they make. And those D4s can roll critical failures. They can roll botches. They're the only thing in the game that can. So you can fail a normal roll if you're not very anxious, but you're probably not going to botch it. But the more anxious you get, the more likely you are to really screw up and harm yourself or your or your team. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, your hour hand is how sort of a, a combination of how far from reality your mind has drifted and 
how much you actually understand about the great things in the beyond. So it is your hour hand is also directly tied to your character's power level. So the higher your hour, the more powerful they are because they no longer believe in the strict mores of reality. Gotcha. And they're able to internalize that non-belief and change reality at their whim. You know, I probably don't have to tell you that hitting midnight is not good and something terrible Sounds will occur. Bad. It's bad, yeah. <laughs> what happens then when you hit midnight? So uh, several things can happen. One of the things that we're very proud of in this game is that player agency is incredibly important to us. We don't see the director as being the arbiter of the narrative. We see them as being a facilitator of the narrative. So... For instance, a director cannot just decide to kill your character. If your character drops yeah. to zero health, there are decisions that you as a player can make about what happens next. And the same is true of when you hit midnight. Uh, one uh, possible uh, ending is that your character just is uh, consumed in uh, a pyre of otherworldly energy and, and is burned to ash. And usually that's, I think, what most people tend to go for. Alternately, they can become some version of terrible monster themselves themselves, during which time we kind of pull the player to the side and we say you have 30 seconds or three combat rounds and this is the list of five things you must get done during that time. And it doesn't matter if your friends get in the way, you don't have friends anymore. And then finally, there is uh, what we call burnout, which is basically just your character's hour hand returns to one, they lose all powers uh, that they've ever accrued, they're never able to gain them again, but they have to live with all the terrible things they've done to get there. You don't see a lot of people choose that option because it's not a lot of fun to play. Doesn't the only sound time like I've seen option. players no. enjoy that is that we ran a short game where it was just three of them trying to survive basically the people that they had wronged without having any powers themselves. And that was pretty fun. I feel like that's sort of sometimes what happens maybe between seasons of horror shows, you know, like yeah, somebody yeah, burns absolutely. out and then they're like, oh, now my life is just kind of a bit rubbish. <laughs> just, yeah. I would find that quite interesting to lead into a little bit, but it might feel a little bit um, at odds with the other players, you know, who still have <laughs> yeah. world-altering powers. We'd like to say that there's yeah. there's three games inside of, of this one. Uh, you know, you're sort of hours one through four very Call of Cthulhu-esque. There are these terrifying creatures. You don't have a lot of power and you really don't know what's going on. Mm. Hours sort of five through eight is more like vampire or werewolf. You know that these things are out there. You have some power. You can kind of take it to them a little bit. And then hours nine through 11 are more like, uh, really kind of like Scion, if you're familiar with it. Or, yeah. So your character has these almost otherworldly powers themselves. They are potentially dangerous to uninitiated mortals, too. You know, usually these games, if you start at, at hour one and go all the way to midnight, I, I ran one for a year and I ran it at least every other weekend, sometimes every weekend. Yeah. And it, it took a year. Wow. I mean, it was going to be my next question, really, was that is it designed? for one shots or campaign play i mean can you do both levels there it's very strong for one shots uh but the same way that i feel like call of cthulhu is very strongly one shot oriented or one small series of three to five games mm. and that's the way that i tend to prefer to run the midnight world yeah but you can absolutely one of the things that we talk about in the storytelling chapter is we've run a few seasons back to back where we'll do like 10 games of one group of characters. And during that time, they will find a MacGuffin, a book or an amulet or something. And that amulet or book will become the focus of several more seasons with a new cast of characters. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. 
Oh, and cool. in that way, that's the only time I've really seen people who chose to burn out come back in a big way is when their NPCs portrayed three seasons later as the first person who ran into this. Ah, oh, that's cool. So that's sort of how we tend to do seasonal play. But I have seen people run, uh, you know, as long as they're willing to slow burn it, I've seen them run long 18 to 20 session uh, series. Sounds really cool. Yeah. I'm definitely kind of into that. It sounds like a very interesting experience and quite different to a lot of other horror games that I've seen in the past. I really like this idea of using a clock as a very visual and nice metaphor for a tension mechanic. That's really cool. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the setting of um, the Midnight World and like some of the ideas that, that you might be interacting with as you start to play? About, uh, I guess about... Six years ago, when we started developing the primary setting, uh, multiverse stuff wasn't everywhere. Mm -hmm. There was some stuff, but it wasn't, like, huge. So we kind of benefited, in a way, from this explosion of interest in the multiverse. Uh, but we've got a bunch of, uh, like, I am a hobbyist physicist. I, I'm not I'm not a physicist. I just like reading about it. Uh, <laughs> Snap. We've got some uh, hobbyist chaos magicians in our group, too. And so we sort of wanted to combine all of these interests. So the setting is one in which right after the Big Bang occurred, basically as all of the uh, universes were separating out from one another, not all of them made it. I mean, there's an infinite number of them that did, but then there's an equally infinite number of universes that for one reason or another couldn't survive once they spun off. They just, uh, their laws of physics were weird or something went wrong in the early days yeah. of, of their evolution that caused them to, to be dead. We played with the idea that even in these dead universes, something kind of like life could eventually evolve. These things would learn to control the rules of their universes, and in that way they would functionally become gods. But they're kept out of other universes by this sort of metaphysical barrier called the Twilight Veil. Mm. For whatever reason, in the Midnight World, the Twilight Veil is there, but it's very weak. Right. And so they are not able to come into the, the world, but they're able to send little fragments of their will. And so for, for your listeners that are familiar with chaos magic, they're able to break off sections of their will called servitors. And the servitors can come in and complete tasks. Uh, if any task is ever given that is too complicated for the servitors, they can gather together and create what's called an egregore, which is a much more frightening monster, you know, that has complex thought and, and, and is able to solve puzzles and that sort of thing. We've got nine of them in the book, but we specifically talk about in the book how there are an infinite number of them. You can make them up as you wish. We've got rules for how to make them, but they are conceptual. They are these terrifying others that should never really be brought into the game. They're, think of the great old ones from Call of Cthulhu, but they don't really make an appearance in the game. Most of the time what comes are these monsters. And so we say things like, if you think of Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger is not a dread being. He's, he's an egregore. He's just a creature that was created by the Dream Lords in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which are, in fact, these dread beings from another universe that are there to disrupt ours. But because of that, because we've sort of got this great overarching framework, 
Other than that, it's setting agnostic. We tend to run it modern, but we I've got a game running right now that is set in ancient Rome. Oh, that's fun. I, well, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, we have a lot of sci-fi, a lot of sci-fi right now. We actually got a splat book coming that is Midnight on Mars, which is uh, set in the distant future. We've got a couple of people doing fantasy-based, so basically a Dungeons & Dragons-esque world where these creatures are out and about. So it's really, apart from you know that sort of central thesis that are there infinite universes, and there are these terrifying gods out there. You can put it in whatever setting you want. That's really cool. It's nice to have a sort of setting agnostic horror game, I think, because it's fun to mess around with the form. Playing with characters from a different time kind of makes you focus on how you use resources in horror as well. I think that's really interesting, yeah. Um, have you got a lot of these splat books out, or is it a big series of games that you've got So available? right now we've just got the core book. The core book just came out uh, at the beginning of September. It's available on drive-thru. And we've got two setting books and one uh, sort of add-on for the core in, in the works right now. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start doing uh, episode packs, which are just three little stories that you can run for your table. They'll be available on drive through. The first one will be available later this month, and they'll be up for like eight bucks, something like that. Nice. Um, so we've got a, a full array of things coming. It's just a matter of, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, uh, but <laughs> being that you run a podcast about it, I bet you know. These things don't make money, so it's yeah, it's, you gotta have a, yeah, you, you got to have a job, and uh, so it's just working around all of our schedules to create this. Uh, but one of the things that we're insistent on, one of our core design philosophies, is that our book has to look at home on the shelf next to your D and D book and your vampire book. Mm. If you pull the Midnight World off the shelf and thumb through it, it should be indistinguishable from a product made by one of the big publishers. And I feel like we've hit that. And I think that if you uh, if you see the hardback. It, it really, your first thought is, uh, well, who's the publisher? Because definitely yeah. this wasn't three goofuses in their spare time that did this, but it was. Uh, <laughs> three goofuses and, and tens of thousands of dollars to create this thing. I'm just looking through it now. Yeah, the spreads are beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like the, the art is something else. I think it's thank something you. that does look like visually very arresting. And I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. I, I want to look through more. <laughs> hey, so, please do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have stuff available soon. <laughs> yeah, so we would love fantastic. it. Uh, yeah. Um, what's this new episode that thing that's coming out then? Do you have, do you, you know, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a hint on what that might yeah, be like? Yeah, I do. So there are three episodes that are going to be in the first uh, pack that comes out at the end of the month. One is called The Reason Brigade. And in this one, it is the uh, late 90s. And you are a member of either the cast or crew of a reality show centered around <laughs> trying to disprove urban legends and so oh. you've been sent to a small town in georgia to disprove several ghost stories and it doesn't go well uh, no uh, i can imagine it would not <laughs> <laughs> uh, one is called the company retreat uh, and that one is written by my co-creator my, my brother jim and in that one you and your department from work have gone on a team building mandatory fun exercise in the woods and it doesn't go well. Uh. And then the third is actually written by 
Uh, Eddie Webb, the fellow who wrote Pugmire. Uh, oh, yeah, close. He's, you know, a very well-known writer. He's an amazing writer. He's a dear friend of mine. And he wrote it, the one called The Last Refrain, which is about a musical earworm that gets into your mind and does things to you. Let me just guess, that doesn't go well either, you know. I mean, that's it does not bit go of a theme. well. Yeah. I feel like now we should retitle our book. Just ellipses, it does not go well. <laughs> a great subtitle. <laughs> Oh, that's really cool. And what I really like there is this sort of three to five session mini campaign, I guess. It's my much preferred format because it's so it's it's much easier to organize five sessions than, oh, indefinitely forever. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, when I went to college, we would play games and we would play them multiple times a week and they would go for three years. And, you know, I'll always miss that. I'll always have a certain amount of nostalgia for that. But I just, in a modern world, I don't think anybody can do that anymore. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, Three to five yeah. is the sweet spot. Yeah. And creatively, that's exhausting as well, doing it indefinitely. I really like this uh, this trend of a few targeted sessions where you do it, you tell a story, it's done, and then you move on, you play something else cool. That's definitely the ideal for me. <laughs> uh, that's one of the reasons I never really got into D&D, I'll be honest with you. Mm. Uh, because when I was coming up, everybody who did D&D was doing D&D every Saturday for six hours for four years. Uh, and it's just hours. like, uh. <laughs> you know, where do you break into that? Like, if you want to join the table, sure, they can make you a level 11 character, but you don't know what's going on. You don't know any of these characters. It can be very intimidating. That's why we, we, we talk a lot in our book about why we call it, why we use television terminology. Why are mm. they episodes? Why are they seasons? Why are they series? And that's why, because we want this to feel episodic. Yeah. And we want to be able to say after four or five episodes, you know what? This is where this ends. This is a great moment for this day. That's definitely the kind of feeling that I have as well, that I want closure on a campaign and particularly a horror campaign. And I think that also helps with this feeling of tension because you know that there is a, a limited amount of time that you've got left and therefore you know it's got to be resolved somehow and the likelihood is that somebody's going to die so <laughs> and one of the things that we really wanted to capture in our design is that as you creep up in that feeling you also have to start managing your resources because yeah you know you can look at your character sheet and you can say i have a power right now where these guys that are running at us, I can throw a small stellar singularity in the middle of them. I can literally create a mini black hole. I will kill all of them. I will kill that monster over there. I will drop that building on top of them and everybody will be safe. But doing that is going to cost me everything. Absolutely. So it becomes a game of resource management also. Which is really strong tradition, I think, in indie horror games at the moment. So down with that. That sounds really cool. And sort of on that note of ending, I guess we're sort of coming to the to the end of the interview. <laughs> end of what time right I've got for today anyway. Not quite two minutes to midnight, but we're we're sort of approaching that time over here. So James, would you like to tell us where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, you can go to the website, themidnightworld.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just uh, search The Midnight World. We're pretty active there. And of course, we're on drive through If you just search for The Midnight World, we have uh, the very high-quality PDF. We have a premium color hardback. Uh, we have a premium color softback. And we also have the standard color softbacks and hardbacks. And I got to tell you... If you haven't seen the most recent generation of drive through RPG print-on-demand uh, standard colors, they look fantastic. They oh, look good. like yeah. anything yeah. else on your shelf. So Excellent. Uh, I know yeah. for a long time I was very intimidated by them because I was like, well, they just don't look like everything else. They do. They look fantastic. But that's yeah. where you can find us. 
drop by and you know support us and we'd be very happy about that excellent well thanks very much for taking us through all of that and good luck with the continued sale of the midnight world thank you so much Thanks for listening, and thanks again to James for the interview. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Next time, we'll be talking to Michael Lowe, game designer and high school teacher, about his newest game, Star Sworn, a storytelling game for all ages, a combination colouring book, choose-your-own-adventure, and role-playing game that anyone can pick up and play together to tell tall tales. I can't wait to bring you this interview, so tune in next time to find out more. This episode is kindly sponsored by Kurt Reffling and Ian Howard, whose game Here We Used to Fly is on Kickstarter now. Here We Used to Fly is a GMless game about abandoned theme parks and the bittersweet nostalgia of growing up. Inspired by narrative games like Wonder Home and Fall of Magic, Here We Used to Fly tells stories of people and how they change. Become a kid at a theme park and the adult they grow into, exploring its ruins. Flash back and forth in time to see how your characters and their relationships change. Create a place that never existed and then mourn its loss. Here We Used to Fly is on Kickstarter until November 15th, 2022. It's your turn to ride. This week, I'd like to thank some of my incredible Patreon supporters. Audrey Shankel, Thomas Elliott, Carl Rigney, Dono McCarthy, Craig Duffy, Dale Blackburn, and Alex Reinhardt. Thank you all so, so much. We couldn't do what we do without you. And you, yes, you can get a regular shout out and joyful thanks too if you go to patreon.com slash yesindeedpod and sign up today. You'll get access to our Discord server where we can hang out and chat and even join monthly editing streams and the Yes Indeed Pod book club. Most of the money will go directly to creators rather than to me, so you'll be investing directly in the indie scene, helping to make it a healthy and inclusive place for years to come. And if you can't commit regularly, you can always help out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you find your podcasts, or by donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod. That's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. All music is taken from Be Quiet by Yatsar from the Free Music Archive, released under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 International License. Thanks, Yatsar. And until next time, remember, does Indy need you? Yes, indeed.